Today, we're offending both ends of the spectrum. Should I say it? Well, Twitter. Yes, I know how most of you absolutely hate it from the core of your heart or how the other half of you absolutely love it and actually prefer using it over other platforms. Whatever the case may be, the very story of Twitter's survival is a very interesting case study that we just cannot disregard. Hate it or love it, the platform has cemented itself to voicing the opinions of those who matter, from world leaders to celebrities to, ironically, media outlets. We'll get to the irony later. But as it stands now, entertainment is attributed to sites like, you know, Facebook or Instagram, but information, actual serious information from those who matter is attributed to Twitter. But as you can already guess, that was not exactly the case from the ground up. In today's episode, we take an analytical approach to assess the success story of Twitter along with understanding the very models and strategies that ensured its survival. Roll the intro. Cash me if you can. Your gateway into the world of financial freedom. Let's go back a few years. Let's go back to Silicon Valley in 2006. Ah, Silicon Valley. The technological hub of the world where innovation spurs, venture capitalists find founders to invest in their startups and startups find these VCs to invest in them. Now, let's understand the social media scenario during that time. MySpace is dominating the market with over 100 million active users and adding about 300,000 users every single day due to an enormous network effect. Its closest competitor, Facebook, who MySpace just turned down to buy for 75 million a year ago, has about 12 million users. It's gaining traction, but nowhere near where MySpace is. So, during this time, if you were a venture capitalist and Jack Dorsey, Noah Glass, Biz Stone and Evan Williams come to you, and ask for an investment in a baby startup that just allows you to put out text in words and not even pictures or videos and has a 140 character limit? Like, what would your reaction be? Definitely not positive, right? That's exactly how investors felt about Twitter in 2006. Well, obviously, they were wrong. But you have to blame the circumstances for the decision. At the end of the day, Twitter's perseverance in the tech world can be attributed to a brilliant product management strategy, which we'll get to. But first, let's learn a little bit more about Twitter itself. So on 21st March 2006, Twitter emerged from the ashes of another startup, Odeo. Now, Evan Williams, flushed with cash after agreeing to Google's acquisition of his last startup, Blogger, agreed to enter a business venture with his neighbor, Noah Glass. The two worked on a platform supporting what they saw as the new radio. Podcasting. Okay, leaving Google and taking one of his co-workers and friends, Biz Stone, William secured funding and began working on the podcasting platform, Audio. Along the way, a chance encounter led to a new employee, Jack Dorsey. Yeah, the same Jack Dorsey who sold his first tweet 
as an NFT and we talked about him in the NFT episode. Now, Dorsey had been working in a coffee shop writing basic code for a ticketing company when Evan Williams walked in. Recognizing the minor Silicon Valley celebrity and eager to find out a more interesting line of work, Dorsey found Williams' email online and sent over his resume. A few back and forths and one interview later, Dorsey became part of the audio team. Now, however much the hype around audio was, it was not really a success. Because obviously, I was not there to podcast on it. So, desperate to pivot from now an unattainable situation, Williams held a series of hackathons among audio employees in which they were told to put up their normal tasks on hold and work on whatever side projects they had with questions like, if you were to start a new company today or reinvent audio, what would you build? This is what they worked on throughout the day. On the last hackathon, Dorsey built an early vision of his platform. Once all the employees' projects were looked over, Williams decided Dorsey's looked the strongest and would be the one audio resources would now go to. Noah loved the idea and even spent a day combing through the dictionary to find its new name, Twitter. So now that we have established the very idea behind Twitter, I'll get to the interesting part. The fundamentals of good product strategy. See, when any product or service is designed, it fits in either of these two categories. The first is a pipeline-driven product or service, and the second is a platform-driven product or service. Platforms have existed for years. Malls link consumers with merchants, newspapers connect subscribers with advertisers. So what's changed in this century is that information technology has profoundly reduced the need to own physical infrastructure and assets. IT makes building and scaling up platforms vastly simpler and cheaper, allowing nearly frictionless participation that strengthens network effects and enhances the ability to capture, analyze, and exchange huge amounts of data that increase the platform's value to all. You don't need to look far to see examples of platform businesses from Uber to Alibaba to Airbnb, whose spectacular growth abruptly upended their industries. Though they come in many varieties, platforms all have an ecosystem with the same basic structure, comprising four types of players. The owner of platforms control their intellectual property and governance. Providers serve as the platform's interface with the users. Producers create their offerings and consumers use those offerings. Now, to understand how the rise of platforms is transformed in competition, we need to examine how platforms differ from the conventional pipeline businesses that have dominated the industry for decades. Pipeline businesses create value by controlling a linear series of activities, the classic value chain model. Inputs at one end of the chain, let's say um, materials from suppliers, undergo a series of steps that transform them into an output that works more, or the finished product. See, pipelines seek to maximize the lifeline value of individual customers or products and services who, in effect, sit at the end of a linear process. By contrast, platforms seek to maximize the total value of an expanding ecosystem 
in a circular, iterative, feedback-driven process. Sometimes that requires subsidizing one type of consumer in order to, you know, attract another type. After all, when a platform enters a pipeline's firm's market, the platform almost always wins. Okay, let's take an example. The spectacular rise of the iPhone. No, I will not go too deep into this because I already have an episode planned on the iPhone, like separately, but I will give you the fundamentals. So back in 2007, Motorola, Nokia, Samsung, Sony and BlackBerry collectively controlled more than 92 to 93% of the global smartphone market share. When Apple launched the first iPhone in 2007, it was considered a mere experiment by these very companies, a model that could never succeed owing to how non-threatening Apple's market presence was to these companies. Suddenly, in a mere span of 8 years in 2015, the iPhone single-handedly reported 92% of the global profits whilst all the aforementioned companies other than Samsung nearly disappeared and eventually now they have disappeared. Why is that? Okay, how do we explain this? See, while all these companies were building a product, Steve Jobs and later Tim Cook was extremely focused on building a platform out of the iPhone or the Apple ecosystem as we all call it. The introduction of the App Store in the iPhone 3G single-handedly paved the way for Apple to steer past all its competitors. It was Apple's idea to give small app developers the freedom to develop apps for its App Store and that very fact contributed to the meteoric rise of the iPhone. Apps were customized and built for the iPhone which made surfing the internet, which was rapidly growing at that time, extremely easy. Native apps were made that organized the clutter of the internet, specifically tailored for mobile phone usage. By empowering developers to produce whatever they wanted, Apple, kind of knowingly or unknowingly, fulfilled the micro-requirements of its consumers. What are micro-requirements? Well, it comes from the micro-marketing, which essentially is an approach to advertise that tends to target a specific group of people in a niche market. With micro-marketing, products or services are marketed directly to a targeted group of consumers. A company's ultimate goal in micro-marketing is to communicate to a targeted group of consumers and get them to take action such as buying a good or a product or a service, whatever it may be. As more and more developers took note and started, you know, developing for the iPhone, its utility started increasing by a staggering margin, because obviously, games, entertainment, productivity, you name it. The App Store inherently created an enormous network effect. Yeah, network effect. You're going to hear this a lot. Wherein more developers created more apps, attracting more users, leading to more demand, which led to developers creating more apps, which created more net value, which again gained more customers. So in a short span, people got habituated to using iPhone apps and paying for subscriptions. 
and people started using the iPhone for its functionality. These very iOS apps served as a retention hook to buy another iPhone. This plus the very high quality device which the iPhone already was made the iPhone the revolutionary product that it is today. This is essentially what a platform driven product can do the power it has to create value for the micro requirements of its customers. Now you might be asking how does Twitter come into all of this? I'm about to tell you. So back in 2007 Twitter hardly got you know 5000 tweets a day and it was a little baby startup amongst thousands of others. That is where the fun part lies. In Silicon Valley back in the day and as it still is as I said it is like a booming tech hub for VCs to find startups and startups to find VCs so that you know you can understand how news like industry news specific to Silicon Valley was an integral part of the startup because VCs need news about the new startups and the founders need to know who is going to invest in them. Now people from both ends of the spectrum depended on the news which was a pipeline driven product at that time dominated by mainstream media. Now you realize the irony I talked about at the beginning of the episode. This very news media clutter had its own set of varying problems. Per se, if a VC said something he wanted to be conveyed, a PR team of the media house would paraphrase his words to fit their agenda and a Chinese whisper phenomena would take place. Chinese whisper is a phenomena wherein a message is passed on in a whisper by each of several people so that the final version of the message is often radically changed from the original. That is exactly what happened with the startup news back in the day. So as a result, a lot of unwanted miscommunication and controversies took place. Now, selective startups were hyped or demeaned by these media houses who had the sole authority to do that. We know how the media PR works, right? They only cover either the most successful stories or the worst failures and completely ignore those stories like Twitter who were waiting to be heard. The distribution was so scattered and delayed that there was no foolproof way to, you know, get authentic news quickly. Either you could do that either by sitting through numerous ads to get bifurcated news on the TV or scrolling through thousands of articles. That is where the genius of Twitter struck. What happened was Twitter's founders gathered all their investors and made them join Twitter who then brought in their network to the platform and soon enough, it became kind of a hub for founders and VCs to, you know, get in touch with each other without the media's interference. It was a small but steady group. Slowly, a network effect started getting into place and more and more like-minded people of Silicon Valley came to know that if you wanted unfiltered actual news to get some work done, Twitter is the place to be at. Even the co-founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, joined Twitter in just a few months. And this became more imminent as the line between the VCs and the founders blurred by a huge margin. 
Now, in 2007, SXSW, a startup conference was held in Silicon Valley. And from all across the state, the VCs and founders of numerous startups were there. And a plethora of new ideas that were waiting to be funded. This very day, like this exact day, the number of tweets in Twitter shot up from 20,000 to 60,000 in a single day. A spike which the founders never anticipated. Now, soon after, the startup community embraced Twitter as a platform to communicate. Just like Apple's App Store, Twitter managed to simplify an extremely flawed and complicated process of VC interaction into something, you know, much more attainable, due to which everyone in Silicon Valley could get access to information they wanted without filters. Twitter empowered small-scale entrepreneurs to put out updates and convey information that would be never done by mainstream media. Eventually, it was one of the best ways to find out what was happening in Silicon Valley. The mutual value creation as producers and consumers was intense. This very accessibility, as I said, led to a very, very strong network effect of the highest level which attracted more and more people from across the country who joined Twitter just to form important, valuable connections. Like, you know, hop onto the buzzing scene. Because after all, the information was and still is what makes Twitter, Twitter. Now, within 7-8 to eight months, influential people like Naval Ravikant embraced Twitter, which was growing rapidly. And then, boom! One fine day, Barack Obama joined Twitter. He saw the potential of direct text broadcasting and tweeted to Twitter in April 2007 to campaign for his upcoming presidential election. This was done again just because he wanted to effectively communicate with his supporters without the media interfering between him and like, this is the point where Twitter went crazy. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people started joining Twitter from either side of the political spectrum because of obvious reasons. And as the niche startup-focused, VC-focused ecosystem started to broaden to the common populace by a huge adoption margin because of Barack Obama's network effect. Now, the question arises. Twitter was not even the only social media platform like there were others, like Orkut or Facebook. So why exactly did Twitter all of a sudden succeed in this very category? That is because the Twitter team understood the specific user needs and started catering to them. Like they were extremely quick to, you know, introduce reforms that their consumers wanted and focused on the consumers and consumers only. For example, the developers noticed that people were using the at symbol to tag someone and they just made it into a feature so that when someone uses the at sign at the other person, they receive a notification. Now, one of Twitter's users suggested to Twitter that they should introduce search within the application and boom, they immediately, like within two or three days, brought out the hashtag and, you know, uh, searchable content was immediately incorporated and other platforms followed. The reason today 
we have hashtags and it has become the standard for you know searching and posting on social media that is attributed to twitter now around 2013 the twitter team introduced twitter alerts which were extremely useful updates that were communicated to the people during times of crisis and this very feature turned out to be so useful that when in 2017 hurricane harry hit houston when all emergency lines were down thousands of people used twitter to seek and offer help again this is how twitter was able to tap into the micro requirements of the user which no media outlet could possibly imagine doing or had the skill to do eventually along with other development models this turned twitter into the hub for you know prominent personalities like celebrities political parties or any personality for that matter who has an opinion to voice it and for people to hear they allowed the people who the masses look up to to create content for the masses and the network effect created out of that was all it needed to perpetuate growth now lastly as promised the question is how did twitter and only twitter succeed with all other competitors existing at that time including myspace or orkut which eventually faded away i mean during one point in time myspace had greater daily visits than the google site itself can you even think of that see to some extent facebook killed myspace and by a huge chunk myspace's own faults killed it but twitter also played a significant role i'll make an episode on that some daily right it's very interesting actually like how did myspace grow tremendously and then fall down all of a sudden okay so if you take a holistic look at the entire situation anything that can be done on twitter can also be done on myspace can also be done on facebook can also be done on orkut or literally google plus any other social media okay so why did even twitter succeed in this specific areas and persevere even after several blows by facebook and other competitors remember every time an information product becomes too cluttered a simplified product replaces it think about it for a minute why did we switch from facebook to instagram the bigger facebook became the more cluttered it became like everything was available for everyone and boomers flocked to it it was ugly it became filled with people and numerous fake accounts it was a mess with people posting photos posting videos random statuses and anything and everything on your wall when you open the app it, it was just a nightmare that is where instagram came in and replaced facebook i mean if not replace it like you know take away a major chunk of its users why because it simplified itself by being a photo first platform sure they eventually rolled out more and more features later but to date it remains a image first platform i'll give you another example facebook's very own messenger in every possible sense the facebook messenger was better than whatsapp and you do not even have to you know have people in your contacts to text them or communicate with them you could send stickers you could add fonts you could change the themes none of which were available on whatsapp during that time yet people flocked to whatsapp in droves why is that 
for the same reason people ran from Facebook to Instagram to get rid of the cluttered mess Messenger was. It worked, right? Eventually, it got so big that Facebook had to acquire WhatsApp. So as I said, always remember when anything gets too cluttered, a simplified version of the basic same features replaces it. The thing is, Twitter did not let itself get cluttered any time since its existence. Their developers stuck to the 140 character limit and did not let any relevant way of content perpetuate on the app. While Facebook attracted, you know, flocks of people, Twitter maintained its somewhat exclusivity in that sense and stuck to its basic principles, which was very important. Specialization has and always will win over generalization. Twitter remained a text-first platform, which aided by a platform-driven approach, enabled it to transform itself from a PB startup to a microphone for the important people in the world, all while not paying heed to Facebook's dominance in the very same field. Excellent business is what it's at. It has empowered ordinary people to raise their voice and make their opinions count, which has been so much harder to do on other platforms. All in all, Twitter effectively distinguished itself and stuck to its very roots, all of which enabled its massive success. So, that was one example of a successful platform-driven product model that compiled with the correct implementation which had such a strong base that it could rival Facebook. However you look at Twitter or the people who use it, there is no doubt that Twitter is a huge success story that must be celebrated and learned from just as we did. Again, thank you so much for being a part of this. Okay, now would you look at that? We are already at 20 episodes. You know, I love this so much. Regardless of whatever goes on throughout the week, this is the one constant thing that remains. I love making this podcast and I love you guys. So thanks a lot for supporting. So see you next week. Share this episode if you liked it and definitely check out the link at the end of the episode description. Have a great day and you know what? Follow me on Twitter for that matter. The link is at the end of the episode description. Bye.